again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Underdog Podcast, episode 11, coming to you here. Again, another Fun Belt edition. Once again, your host, as always, Adam Luckett, coming at you. And today, what we're going to do is most of you probably listened to this podcast earlier in the week. We had our CUSA guys, Cyrus and Jared, come on and give a preview of half their conference. Well, we're going to do the same here for the Fun Belt. Even though they're not playing divisions this year, we're going to break down that East Division of App State, Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, and Troy, and kind of just give you a brief uh, breakdown of the teams and what to expect from these squads this fall. And to help me out with this, I'm bringing in our guy, Aitman Chambers. He covers App State. He's a beat writer that covers App State, but he also did some work recently at our site uh, involving Coastal Carolina and the Chanticleers in their first year over in the FBS and in the Sun Belt. So, Eggman, welcome to the program. Absolutely, Adam. Uh, thanks a lot, man. Been looking forward to this, and uh, I'm ready to get down and talk. Uh, even though, like you said, there's not divisions yet in the Sun Belt, I am ready to get down and talk some Sun Belt football. Yeah, and of course, today we had a post up at the site. The Sun Belt released their future schedules, 2018-2019. So we're not that far away from actually having a two-division format in the league and having a conference championship game, which will be exciting uh, for everybody. And one of those programs that's probably going to play in a fairly good amount of Sun Belt title games is the Appalachian State Mountaineers. That's a program that Aikman is really really knows well. Um, they're the preseason favorite, picked at media days to come out of the conference. They've got a load of experience at pretty much every level, led by four-year starting quarterback Taylor Lamb. And then they're a team that's really built from the inside out. They beat you at the line of scrimmage, and then they just don't make mistakes anywhere else. So, Aikman, what what are your expectations uh, for the Mountaineers here before we get into the player of the game and the record? What do you think um, is the ceiling for the squad this fall? Well, I tell you what, you know, I, I think that you can. I, I think ten. I think at least ten wins is not out of the question for Appalachian State at all. Of course, Georgia first game of the year going to be really tough, and Wake Forest is going to be tough as well. That's going to be a rocking game at the Rock and Boone when Wake Forest comes to town. I mean, I think ten wins is an easy get for this team because I don't see where I know that some other outlets have said you know they see App with one loss in preseason predictions in conference play. I'm, you know, throw the the fan hat, so to speak, to the side. I honestly want to know where they think in conference play with who they got because, in my opinion, their two toughest conference games, you know, just talking conference-wise, on the slate is either, you know, Georgia Southern being a natural rivalry, both teams, no matter what the records play each other tough, and then possibly, say, Idaho. But I, I just don't see that either one of those teams are to the level that Appalachian State is this year. I agree with you. You look at the schedule on paper, the Mountaineers are going to be really heavy favorites in 10 games. The one that's going to be close is probably that Wake Forest September 23rd matchup when they come to Boone, like you said. But other than that, they're really going to be the heavy favorites. And I think the key for this team this fall is really just to stay healthy. If they stay healthy, they're going to go 11-1. and one. What I worry about, if they get a uh, bad, couple bad injuries, I have questions about their depth at some places that they could be hurting. But if they can keep their squad relatively healthy, I think it's going to be a really, really special season there in Boone. We, I agree with you. You know, injuries can play a factor, and that's the one thing, you know, any of us, we can sit here and predict preseason stuff all day and all night. But injuries is one thing you can't predict. And, 
you know, one of the injuries, especially at a key position, say quarterback, you know, say if Taylor Lamb wants to go down, there's a lot of uncertainty. Appalachian State right now doesn't have a clear-cut number two quarterback after J.P. Caruso, who had been the backup quarterback, transferred to Delaware. He transferred to an FCS program there at Delaware. And so now that's created this battle for a backup quarterback for Appalachian State. There's some different guys, you know, working in that Um there, there's about four kids, different ones that are battling for that. They still don't have a clear-cut number two QB yet. So, you know, a, a major position like quarterback, you know, if Taylor Lamb was to go down, and we, I hope he doesn't. I mean, we don't wish in, injury on any kid. But, you know, th- anything like that can play a big key and just throw you f- from a 9-10 win season into a 6, maybe a barely bowl win team. Yeah, absolutely. That- Let's get to our, our player, like we talked, like you just mentioned, Lamb. For me, I had Taylor Lamb as the most important player for App State. Now, he doesn't do anything special. When you watch him, it's not, oh, wow, this kid, you know, he's a heck of a runner or he's an awesome passer. He might be a next-level NFL quarterback, but he doesn't do anything wrong. He's just very steady, very solid. You know, each time number 11 steps on the field, you know what you're going to get from him. He's been the starter for four years now, 36 career starts. In his three years starting before, they've gone 7-5, and 11-2, and 10-3, and three, and now they have a legit shot at an 11-1 and one type season. He's thrown 63 touchdowns and 26 interceptions. And like you said, if he goes out, they're really in a pickle. Scott Satterfield would really have to figure some stuff out if they were to lose Lamb. So for me, for my money, I think he's the most important Mountaineer this fall. Well, you know, I, I debated on this long and hard. I, I sat and I, I went back and forth. Jalen Moore, Taylor Lamb. Jalen Moore, Taylor Lamb. I mean, it, it come to kind of to the point with me where I almost wanted to flip a coin and whichever one was which I would go with. But I decided to go with Jalen Moore just for the simple fact he's coming off the Sun Belt, you know, Offensive Player of the Year award, preseason Offensive Player um, of the Year, all, all sorts of awards. This kid is a special talent for Appalachian State. Uh, he's got shoes to fill in Marcus Cox, but he's done a good job at looking like being able to fill those shoes. I mean, he returns a guy behind him in Terrence Upshaw that is a guy that I think a lot of Appalachian State people may have forgot about who had to sit out last year because of academic issues and being ineligible to play due to grades and things of that nature. He brings him back. But this App State team loves to run the football so much to set up that passing game with Taylor Lamb. I just couldn't turn away from the how much Jalen Moore means to this team because they need him to be able to set up the the rest of their offense. Yeah, Moore's a really solid pick there. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to get a lot of carries this year now Upshaw is a very quality backup before he sat out last year he was averaging right around five five and a half yards to carry so he's very serviceable and as a guy that you can put in the offense not take too big of a dip but Moore might be the best running back in the G5 this fall he can really do it all he's a really power runner great runner in between the tackles and he's got a legit shot, I think, at 2,000 yards this season. 
you know, I agree with you 100%. I don't think 2,000 yards by any means is uh, out of the question for Jalen Moore. I think, you know, you could be looking, you could, depending on how some other players shake down, you know, from Troy, Arkansas State, some of these other really good teams out of the Sun Belt. I mean, Jalen Moore is a guy I think that's going to be, definitely be in contention for a possible Sun Belt, uh, you know, player of the year. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. As we move on here, we'll go to the the most important game for me, I think it's when in-state rival Wake Forest comes to town on September 23rd. I believe Winston-Salem is not too far from Boone. And App really missed an opportunity last year. Miami came to town. It was on ESPN. Everybody was paying attention to Boone, North Carolina, and Kid Brewer Stadium. And App kind of you know, laid an egg. So getting that ACC team in there wakes more on from a talent level standpoint. It's pretty even playing field bef- between the Demon Deacons and the Mountaineers. And I think if App State can get a big win there and then they get the bye right after that, then they can kind of get some big time momentum and roll as they start some belt play. Well, I, I agree with you 100%. I, this was an easy pick for me. Uh, I didn't even look at the, with the way the conference schedule breaks down with no Troy and no Arkansas State. I threw Sunbelt schedule out the window, even though it's very important Sunbelt play. But this Wake Forest game, by far to me, is the most important game on this App State you know, schedule. As you mentioned, uh, they're close to each other. Boone and Winston-Salem only separated by about 88, 89 miles is all that separates the two. Um, you see, in uh, one of the crazy things is in Boone, you see a lot of people that have on one side of their car it'll say a Wake Forest uh, parent, and on the other side it'll say an Appalachian State parent. There's a lot of kids whose parents went to either one of the schools, and now that kids go to either one of the schools, I mean, there's a lot of ways these two programs are a lot of similar just on fan bases and everything of that nature, and they're going to pack this place. It's a sellout. They've already sold the game out. I mean, they're expecting upwards of 35-plus like they had last year for Miami. This is going to be, I think, the most important game for Appalachian State, just like with you. I agree with you 100%. Yeah, that'll be another really cool atmosphere, like you said. That stadium, the Rock, as they call it, it's really one of the more unique stadiums in the country, and I think it has one of the better atmospheres of any G5 program. But before we move on from the, this game, I will say there is one trap game I would worry about if I was a App State supporter. They have that weird road trip on Halloween weekend where they go up to Amherst to play the UMass Minutemen. Now, to most people, expect UMass to be one of the worst teams in the the G5 as they're an, kind of an independent life. They've really struggled here recently, but they're going to have a really good offense this year. And if App State is caught, you know, kind of sleeping there, that could be a tricky game for them. So if I, I'd watch that as a trap game. But other than that, they're really going to be the heavy favorites, whoever they play in the Sun Belt this fall. I agree with you 100%. You know, I've thought about that myself after doing research on UMass and gathering some information, uh, you know, I, I don't. I, I think if Appalachian State shows up to play, there's no reason why you know they can't they can't you know go away with that game 35-10, 42-10, something of that nature. But you're right. I mean, if, if Appalachian State doesn't come to play, UMass could possibly be a trap game. And then we'll move on to the record. I didn't. I found a hard time finding a, a record. What we want to do here is really kind of what what needs to be the number for 
this program to determine to have a successful season. For me, it's just winning the Sun Belt outright. They've, they finished third their first year, second their second year in the league, and then tied, of course, Arkansas State last year for the championship. I think for this program to keep that upward trajectory, it's going to be to be the the only champ, the only champion for the league, whether that's going eight and zero or seven and one, whatever they have to do to get that done. So I think that should be the goal for Scott Satterfield's program this fall is to be the Sun Belt champs. I agree. I agree one hundred percent. Outright is that you know that's that next step for this program to take. You know I think you know ten wins. I think you could possibly get it outright with a ten win season, uh, depending on how some things fall in uh, Jonesboro and uh, and with Troy. But you know I think I, I agree with you one hundred percent. You know winning the Sun Belt outright is that next goal that Appalachian State has. Uh, Satterfield has mentioned that multiple times that that is the next big step for this team is to claim that outright title. Yeah, absolutely. It should be a special, special season like we've mentioned in Boone, North Carolina. I really like that team a lot. But we'll move on here. and We'll go to the newbies in the conference, the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers out of Conway, South Carolina, right there in the Myrtle Beach area. It's the Chanticleers' first year in FBS as they're making the transition. Of course, Joe Moglia, that news has been talked about a lot here recently on our pods, that he's sitting out this season. And Office of Coordinator Jamie Chadwell in his first season is going to be the interim head coach. Of course, he coached against Coastal Carolina when he was at Charleston Southern and had a successful run there. So, Aikman, as Chanticleers are breaking in their first year in the Sun Belt, what are your kind of expectations for them in this 2017 season? Well, I'll tell you what, I think, you know, this is for people that don't know that, you know, don't follow FCS football that much, or especially a team from such a small FCS conference that it was the Big South. This Coastal Carolina team has done nothing but win since Joe Moglia took over. I mean, you know, this team, I mentioned in one of my past articles, you know, he's got like a 50-15 and 15 record, Moglia does. And the guy that they hired as offensive coordinator but now steps in as interim head coach, Jamie Chadwell, he brought Charleston Southern out of the darkness. I mean, they exploded out of nowhere. Chadwell took over that team, and they have consistently under the reign of Chadwell while he was there. I mean, they Charleston Southern was ranked – in the FCS top 25, you know, they went to Fargo a couple years ago and just fell short against FCS Power North Dakota State in the third round of the FCS playoffs. I mean, they're not losing anything big, I think, with Mo- with Chadwell taking over for Mowgli. I think Coastal Carolina, you might not see it first of all this year, you know, because their schedule is brutal. I mean, you know, the, the conference slate is brutal. Non-conference, not so much. But conference slate, the Sun Belt rolled out the red carpet for these guys. App State, Arkansas State, Troy. I mean, they got Idaho, Georgia Southern on there too. The, the Sun Belt did Coastal Carolina no favors when it comes to getting a lot of conference wins in year one. Yeah, the schedule is absolutely brutal. I just don't – it's going to be a hard year without your head coach. They're adjusting to Chadwell in his first year kind of system. So we'll see how they do. For their most important player, I just picked senior linebacker Shane Johnson. He's their leading returning tackler. Their offense is obviously going through a transition. But they have an experienced defensive coordinator, and I believe his name's Mickey Matthews. He used to be an FCS head coach as well as James Madison. 
And I think Johnson is one guy on that team that potentially has all-conference potential. You know, I agree with you 100%. One of the things, and this is another thing, too, you know, I think with Coastal Carolina, it's not so much as coming up, I mean, because everybody, you know, was blown away when Georgia Southern and Appalachian State moved up a few years back. You know, they everybody was like, wow, these teams are ready to compete from day one, but Coastal Carolina's lineage at FCS is not as broad as what, or as big, I should say, as what App State and Georgia Southern had. Coastal Carolina's only had football since the turn of the century, you know, so this is only going to be like their 15th or 16th season having football, so relatively young. And, you know, they've got, as you mentioned, some guys that, you know, could be, you know, All-Americans. I mean, they have got some talented guys, but the, the thing I'm going to have to see, how does these guys that were recruited as FCS-caliber players now transition up to the FBS level and you know because we all know there's a difference you know size strength speed about any category there's a difference in you know the difference of FBS and FCS with with guys and that's one of the main things that I'm curious to see that's why you know I think running back play is going to be big for Coastal they lose their big name running back from a year ago who set the school record uh, in, in rushing uh, in D'Angelo Henderson, who now is a Denver Bronco. He was a fifth or sixth round draft pick, I believe. And so that, that sets the stage for another you know running back to move up. And another problem is this team's yet to name a quarterback. I mean, we're three, two or three weeks away from the season, and Coastal Carolina doesn't even have its most position, their most important position sorted out yet. Yeah, I know the coaching staff like senior running back Oshamar Abercrombie. He represented the program at Media Day. But and then like you're talking about that that quarterback position is an X factor to me. Austin Wilson, the grad transfer from Syracuse, is who everybody expects to win the job. But I'm not sure that's going to happen. Um, they brought in a couple freshmen, I believe, that ha- will have a shot at it. I just think it's going to be kind of a long season for them. I think they're going to take their lumps, but I do think they'll have the ability to sneak up some people in some belt play. And for me, when I look at that schedule. As we've gone over earlier, the Sunbelt office did them no favors, like you mentioned. That opener against UMass, I think, is a really big game for them. It's going to be teams are people are going to be paying attention to them, and they have a bye the week after that. And after that bye, they have winnable games at UAB and then against FCS Western Illinois. So the chances there for them to get off to a three and zero start and potentially play above their heads as they enter conference play. But to get to that, they need they have to win that first game against UMass. It'd be great for Chadwell to get off to that fast start, um, so he could keep the team on the same page and not have guys maybe doubting him because he's a new guy. So I think that's a really really big game when they open up with the Minutemen there at Brook Stadium. Oh, it is one hundred percent. You know the big game I have circled for this team and UMass is one of the games I bounced around when trying to think about this but I've got their big game as September 30th the first time they play a Sunbelt opponent when they play Louisiana Monroe they they go to Monroe to play but 
everybody's going to be looking to see, you know, this is that first taste of Sunbelt action. And they do it against a team I think they can get a win against. I think Coastal Carolina can compete with Monroe for the simple fact, you know, Monroe doesn't have anything that just blows me away. A lot of JUCO guys uh, that they have uh, recruited into their program. And I think this is a game, if some things fall right, I think Coastal Carolina could win their first Sunbelt game. Yeah, you look at that schedule, those games against – that's why I think that fast start is so important. Of course, they don't play Idaho until late in the year, but ULM and Georgia State are teams I think they can really compete with. But after that's where it gets tricky because they play those nine straight games without a bye after that early rest in the beginning of the season. And then you got back-to-back road trips to Arkansas State and Appalachian State. So by the time – you know. The other stellar dweller, Texas State, gets to town. That could be a really, really tired football team. So that's why I think that that opener is so important, that they can get some positive momentum early and really try to ride that as much as they can. I agree uh, with you 100%. You know, momentum is going to be key for this team because you've got, I mean, you've got young guys. You look at how they're looking as far as, you know, starting depth chart wise. I mean, you're looking at, you know, only uh, at one senior running back. You're, you don't really know quarterback wise what to say. I mean, across the offensive line, you're looking at junior, 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 sophomore, tight ends, a junior. Uh, your wide receivers are sophomores mostly. Uh, you got one senior and Chris Jones at a wide receiver. All the rest are uh, sophomores and uh, juniors. So I mean, this is a young team, especially on offense. And I think the any way that they can build wins and build confidence is going to be best for this team. Yeah, absolutely. For me, the record it's really somewhere around four and eight. I'd say four and eight would be my final answer. Really getting two wins in the non-conference, so at least getting one of UMass and at UAB, and then getting at least two wins in in the Sun Belt play. You don't want to go in your first year and not go winless in conference play. So to just get something, and then if they could like beat Georgia Southern to close the season at home, I think that could really give them some momentum going into the offseason, they can hopefully parlay that into a better season in 2018. You're right, and I've got this team at four wins as well. You know, I'm, I'm looking, you know, where I see the wins coming. You know, I think uh, Western Illinois is a, a win. I, I'm thinking either UMass or UAB, one of those, I think they'll split those. I think they'll win one of those and lose one of those. And then, you know, I see them, you know, getting a win – you know, I think they can hang with Texas State and Monroe and maybe grab two wins in the Sun Belt. I think, you know, that I don't think two wins is out of the question in conference play for this team. I think Texas State and Monroe are two teams that Coastal Carolina I know can compete with, but I, I feel, you know, kind of okay with saying I think they can beat both of those teams. Yes, absolutely. And it's just going to be fun seeing that program in the Sun Belt. We'll move on and we'll head down to. Statesboro, Georgia Southern, and it's really a strange time there around around Paulson Stadium. Of course, it seems like all the fans want Tyson Summers gone, but he's getting a second year there, and it's really a must-win situation there for the Eagles as they've kind of fallen on hard times very quickly. 
uh, you're right. I, I mentioned the other day that you know it's it's never a good sign when your athletic director in year in year one of a head coach's tenure has to send out a letter of confidence to you know boosters and just you know just to send one out. I think that that is a that's a situation in Statesboro right now that is just ready to be blown up if things don't go right because. Like I mentioned, when your AD does that in year one of a coach's tenure, that's not a good sign, in my opinion, at all. No, not at all, like you said. And, of course, Summers had to make offensive changes, and there's been some bad publicity surrounding that as the two former co-OCs are suing the school. But they're going back to the option. Brian Cook's coming in. He, of course, was an assistant under Paul Johnson recently here at Georgia Tech where they ran a pretty much flex-bone option but Summers stated he wants to run gun option so we'll see how Cook does in doing that who do you think is the most important player for the Eagles this fall Eichmann well I thought this is another tough one Georgia Southern has a lot of question marks for me but I'm going with a co most valuable player for this team because I think it's two LA Ramsby I think the running back is an obvious choice and he's got some big shoes to fill with Matt Breida not there now, but Ramsby has been a valuable asset as a secondary back these past uh, few seasons. But, you know, I think at quarterback, Shy Wirtz stepping in. A lot of us, we don't know a lot about this kid. I mean, you know, he's a, a redshirt freshman, I believe, as a Seth Schumann. Uh, that was brought to our attention at the end of last week that Schumann has, uh, I believe, went to chase baseball now at Georgia Southern. So, you know, I thought this was too close to call. I'm going with a co here of Shy Wirtz at quarterback just to see how he works in this option-based offense now that Georgia Southern is kind of going more back to their roots, so to speak, and then, of course, L.A. Ramsby. Yeah, I think a lot of that with Schumann chasing that baseball is the transition back to the triple option. He's really a pocket passer, so when they decided to do that, I think you know he saw that he wasn't going to play quarterback in the system. So it was either play baseball or probably transfer. And Wirtz is definitely a good answer. The redshirt freshman is going to start this year at quarterback. And he's really going to get thrown to the fire earlier. Early, excuse me. They open up with Auburn there at Jordan-Hare. Auburn is going to have a really, really good defense again. And then third game of the season, they go up to Bloomington to play Indiana. And Indiana is going to have a really good defense that's going to surprise a lot of people this fall, but their defense is going to be the real deal this year. So we're going to find a lot about him early. It could be ugly for the Eagles, and they get their two bye weeks early in the season before they start conference play. So eight straight conference games to close the season is not a good look. But for my player, it was running back junior Wesley Fields, the other back outside of Ramsby. Of course, going to this option, and you're going to need your guys at running back, multiple guys. But Fields, as a freshman, was a guy that showed a lot of explosiveness, averaging nearly seven yards per carry. And then that dipped down to right around five last year. I think he's going to be their go-to guy, workhorse in this offense. Tyson Summers brought him to media day. And I would look for him to kind of reemerge as a, one of the better backs in the league this fall. I mean, I agree. In this offense, you know, this is the thing about the option. You're going to have more than one guy stand out and make, 
you know, a name for themselves because there's so many aspects to this. Wirtz is going to take off and run the ball. You have Ramsby, you know, that that's going to run the ball as well. And then you got Wesley Fields also. He's going to get his uh, fair share of uh, carries throughout this offense as well. That That's the thing I think that makes it hard to really pick just one guy for Georgia Southern because in the offense that they run, they utilize so many different guys. Yes, they do. And I think it's just going to be nice for everybody seeing Southern going back to that option. That's who they are. That's their identity. And that's something that even Summer's mentioned they got away from it didn't have an identity last year so it's going to be nice seeing what a program does best get back to it but as we look at the schedule like I just mentioned eight straight conference games is really brutal that's going to be a really tough stretch for this program especially since they're going to be playing what looks like a lot of young players this fall my biggest game is when they host their heated rivals Georgia State on November 4th it's sandwiched between road trips against Troy and Appalachian State. And that Appalachian State game is on a Thursday, so that's going to be a short week when they travel to Boone. So that's a huge game for Southern on November 4th. It's a game they lost as favorites last year when they went up to Atlanta. And, of course, expectations are high for Georgia State this year under Sean Elliott, which we'll get to here in a little bit. So I think that's really a must-win for Summers. He can't go 0-2 in this series or the fans are really going to turn on him bad, badly even if he wins five or six games well you know that that georgia state game is very big uh for georgia southern and you're right the fans if southern loses that game you can expect full out you know riot mentality from the fans at georgia southern and they will be calling for Tyson Summers' job, no doubt about it. I'm a little bit different. I'm going to go the week before you in their most important game, and that's Troy. Georgia Southern dealt this Troy team a loss last year. At the last game of the season, Troy had beaten Appalachian State. Troy had their mind set on winning the Sun Belt title, and then Georgia Southern deals that loss that – Troy couldn't afford to have that other loss in conference play or they would be taken out of the equation. And that's why, obviously, Arkansas State and App State, you know, flip this. This is going to be a, a big year for Troy, too. And, you know, this game, Georgia Southern and Troy to kick off, you're, this is the best Sunbelt game, in my opinion, week one is Troy and, and Georgia Southern. I definitely agree with that. Georgia Southern has had Troy's number, Troy, excuse me, Troy's number recently. So that's going to be a big game for both programs. Troy, to accomplish what they want to accomplish, they got to start beating Georgia Southern consistently, and that's something they haven't done yet. So that's a big game for both programs going in, and of course that's going to be a tough road trip for the Eagles. So as we move to record, what do you think Tyson Summers needs to do to get the fans off his back a little and to assure himself of getting a third season there as the head man in Statesboro? I think you got to go to a bowl game. I mean, I don't know, depending on how they're – if, you know, six wins is what qualifies you for a bowl game. Six and six, you know, more than likely you're going to get a bowl invite and you're going to be placed to play in a bowl game somewhere. But I didn't – I couldn't bring myself to see that a 500 season would be enough. I think you got to have a, a, a winning record. I think – you know, seven and five. If you can pull seven and five out for Georgia Southern, which is going to be tough to do, I mean, they may be satisfied enough with a six and six and a bowl and a bowl appearance. But 
you know, I, I, I'm thinking that, you know, you've got to have a winning record because this fan base is already livid as it is, and they're they're so unhappy with the way this has worked already. You know, I, I think they've got, you know, it's it's do or die this year. I'm with you on the bowl. I said six and six, possibly five and seven, depending on what the wins and losses were. If they got probably a big upset maybe over somebody and then – Maybe an App State or an Arkansas State or a, or, or a Troy, or but they must, no matter what happens, they have to be Georgia State. So I would say five and seven, six and six. I think getting back to a bowl would really take a lot of pressure off Summers. Oh, I agree, one hundred percent. A bowl game uh, could really ease, you know, and take some of the heat off the already. I, I call it a flaming hot seat already for for summers and if, if things don't go right this season you know that that seat's going to be burnt up and I have a feeling that Southern will have another new coach in 2018 if things don't go right as we'll stay in the Peach State Sean Elliott takes over in Atlanta for the GSU Panthers and of course this is probably the most important season in program history they're moving into Turner Field that they've renovated and it looks really really nice it's going to be one of the better-looking stadiums in the G5. So expectations are obviously high for the program in Atlanta. Oh, they really are. And, you know, you talk about that new stadium, you know, Turner Field, you, uh, Turner Field, you call it a new stadium. Turner Field's been around for a while now. But the way they have renovated that from a baseball stadium to a, a football stadium, the pictures look gorgeous. It looks great. I wrote – up in my uh, last Appalachian State season preview article, you know, the, the Mountaineers are going to be traveling Thanksgiving weekend down there to Turner Field, but it's not going to be for a game of baseball. No, they're playing football now at Turner Field, and, you know, this is going to be a very interesting season for Georgia State. A lot of people are split on the Panthers. Some, th- some people see good things coming out of Atlanta for Sean Elliott in his first season, and other people say, you know, well, where are y'all drinking this Kool-Aid at? Because they don't see it. So, you know, this is going to be a – I think this is maybe the most interesting team to watch out of the Sun Belt this year. Yeah, for GSU, I've seen predictions of 8-4, and four, and then I've seen predictions of 4-8. and eight. I think I lean a little bit towards more of the 4-8, and eight, just mainly due to the new staff, even though they do have a lot of production returning. But that schedule is tricky. And then we'll talk about most important player. Who do you think for Georgia State is going to be essential for them to succeed this year under new head coach Sean Elliott Aikman? Well, you, you know, I think – and you may end up agreeing here with me on this. And, I mean, it's got to be Connor Manning. You've got to have stable play at quarterback. And, you know, when you think about Georgia Southern, yeah, Penny Hart comes back from injury, and this guy's going to play a key role at receiver. But I want to see Connor Manning step up. I mean, he had – what was it? It, I believe it was, what, 16 interceptions last year. And, you know, you got to see more consistent play at quarterback. And I think Connor Manning by far is the – this is the player – to watch on Georgia State because when any season preview you see anybody preseason writing up about Georgia State, who does it look like they're talking about more than anybody? It's Connor Manning. Yeah, Manning threw 16 touchdowns and 13 interceptions last year in his first season as a transfer over from Utah. He's really a guy that can really stretch the field. He's got probably the biggest arm in the conference. So him having a good year and being a efficient in the passing game will really help Georgia State but where this team has really struggled ever since 
they launched the program has been in the rushing game. In the last few years, the highest their average rushing per game has been is 168. In the last three years, they haven't topped 100 when you're talking about average yards per game. That's in the bottoms of all of college football. So they really have to improve that this season. To do that, they're going to need better blocking up front. Sean Elliott, of course, was an offensive line coach at Appalachian State and South Carolina before taking the head job here in Atlanta. And the best player on this offensive line is center Gabe Mobley. He made the Remington list preseason, which great, which pretty much gives an award at the end of the year to the best center in college football. I think he's going to be a guy up front that kind of blazes the trail. And the, and they're going to need better play up front. And I think if Mobley can lead the way, that offensive line can you know blaze more trails and that running game can finally get going. And therefore, that's going to help out Manning so he's not forced to throw it every game and not have any threat of a running attack at all. Well, you, you know, you're exactly right. Rushing has been the Achilles heel by far for Georgia State, and you summed it up best since the program started. I mean, this has been one they've struggled at, and so you're right. This is going to be very key to see how this rushing game is able to step up this year because, you know, across the offensive line, you know, they've got, you know, they've got seniors at right guard and right tackle, a junior center, they've got a senior at left guard, and then they've got a sophomore at left tackle. I mean, this is a very experienced and very seasoned offensive line for the most part for Georgia State. So if there's any year to have a good rushing year, it, it's going to be this year. Yes, and it needs to happen sooner rather than later. We'll move on to record. What do you think needs to happen for Georgia State to have a successful 2017? I'm thinking somewhere around the area of five wins. I don't think four and eight. I'm thinking five or seven, five and seven, or maybe even six and six. I think there's a chance, you know, conference play wise, you know, that that they could uh, that they could find enough after what they have uh, non conference wise. Because non conference wise, I see wins over Tennessee State, and I can that Charlotte game will be a very good game to watch because I think Georgia State and Charlotte are uh, similar in a lot of ways as far as what each team brings to the table, so that'll be a, that'll be a really good uh, non-conference game. And you know they've got Coastal Carolina, they play Monroe, they play Texas State. So there's you know three possible wins there for them. Uh, you know Georgia Southern is a very is is a very interesting game as you mentioned. I have Georgia Southern as my biggest game for Georgia State. And Georgia State's mindset, I think that biggest game they've got is Georgia Southern because, you know, State, you know, beat Southern last year. Elliott has a chance now to, you know, in his first year, lead the Panthers to back-to-back wins over uh, in-state rival Georgia Southern. So, you know, I'm thinking, you know, at least five wins, but I don't think a 6-6 six and six year is out of the question for this team. Yeah, for me, the biggest game is when South Alabama comes to town on a Thursday night. October 26th, they'll be rolling in the GSU Stadium. The game should be, I believe, on one of the ESPN networks, one of the main stations. So that's going to be their first real exposure on television. The opener, I believe, is on ESPN3, so not many people are going to be paying attention on that opening Thursday. But that Thursday, October 26th, they're going to have some eyeballs that usually aren't paying attention to Georgia State football. It's going to be where they, where people can 
finally see that stadium and these new facilities that the Panthers have. And so I think that's a pretty much must-win game for them so they can you know, beat somebody on national TV and get some positive pr- recruiting momentum coming out of that. Now, for the record, as that goes, I'd say right around 6-6, six and six, maybe 5-7. and seven, Like we said, depends on who you beat, depends on who you lose to. But I think expectations are kind of high surrounding this program. They're breaking into a new stadium. Recruiting's going very well. I think they want to con- continue that rolling, and I don't think they really want to have another 3-9 and nine type season. No, they don't, because I, I think that's the last thing that Sean Elliott wants in year one is another losing season. I think if he can get this team back to you know that surprise season they had two years ago when they went to the Cure Bowl, I think that uh, I think that that six and six is a very possible thing for this Georgia State team, and a lot of eyes are going to be on Atlanta this year to see what the Panthers do and what they're able to ground out. And as we'll round up this East Division, we'll break down the Troy Trojans as the final team here. Troy's coming off a landmark season where they went ten and three. I believe it's the first year in since they've been in FBS when they've won double-digit games in a single season. They've got all kinds of offensive firepower with this team with an opportunistic defense that forces a lot of turnovers. Of course, Neil Brown is entering year three, and just like App State, it's pretty much conference title or bust from the team from down there in the southern part of Alabama. Oh, it most certainly is. This is... uh... As an Appalachian State fan, you know, throw the just throw this off a second. I'm glad we don't play Troy this year because I mean, number one though, what a game it was last year when the two, you know, when they played each other, 28-24, when when Troy beat Appalachian State, a great overall game as you would expect it to be. You know, this team, this Troy team, is definitely definitely. I think the team that could end up forcing Appalachian State to split the Sun Belt title because I think Troy is just a little bit better than Arkansas State this year because Arkansas State has some questions up front with linemen and things of that nature. And this year for Neil Brown and these Trojans is going to be is going to be big. I mean, Brandon, this is another tough one. I mean, because you got two big playmakers on offense, Jordan Chun and Brandon Silvers. Uh, you know, I, I didn't want to go co-MVP here because these were both big names. I chose to go with Brandon Silvers. I mean, quarterback play is, you know, very huge. And, you know, he, if he's on and he's really good, this team looks very, very good. But if Silvers is having a rough day, then this team seems to not do so well. So th- they seem to rely on how Silvers comes out and plays each Saturday. I- I've noticed this from watching Troy, and that's why I think Silvers is this t- this team's MVP. I agree with Silvers, four-year starter. He's throwing a ton of touchdown passes, completing over 60% of his passes. We'll contend for some about Offensive Player of the Year honors and will be one of the more productive quarterbacks in college football. And like you said, with App State avoiding Troy this year, I thought that was really a disappointment. Ever since Neil Brown arrived, of course, Troy rolled into Boone as a huge underdog in 2015 and took them to, took the heavy favorite Mountaineers to three overtimes. And that's, of course, a game App State squeaked out. And then last year when App State traveled to Troy, that was probably the best game in the conference all season. So that that's looking like a rivalry that could really emerge in this East Division. 
But for me, the I went cold players here. I had Memphis transfer running back Jamarius Henderson and defensive end Seth Callaway. For Jamarius Henderson, he's coming in from Memphis, and he can really be that kind of third down back in this air raid offense that can spread out and catch some passes, but also bust some big, big plays in the running game. And with Jordan Chun, they have kind of that thunderback power back already. But they really don't have a compliment to him. Last year, Chun really wore down at the end of the season. And I believe that was one of the biggest reasons they got upset by Georgia Southern in the finale, which cost them a share of the Sun Belt title. I think having Henderson will be a very nice compliment to Sean. I believe it'll be the best running back duo in the Sun Belt, and it's going to make a dynamic offense even more dynamic, and it's going to be put defenses in a lot of bind because they're going to have to kind of pick their poison in the running game and then know in the back of their heads that Silver's a four-year starter is going to be able to shred them through the air. And then on defense, they lose – Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Year, Rashad Dillard. And they're really need to, the big one of the biggest questions they've had to answer in training camp is how are we going to find a pass rush? I think what they're going to get that, where they're going to get that is from Seth Calloway, a guy that played inside for them last year and was really productive in kind of a backup role. They're sliding him outside this year to play defensive end. Didn't record any sacks last fall, but I believe he had five and a half non-sack tackle for locks or excuse me tackle for losses so that shows in kind of a backup role he can be pretty productive so I look for him to answer those questions for Troy about a pass rush and then Demarius Henderson I look for him to probably be the biggest impact transfer in the fun belt this season well you know I can't doubt anything you just said at all with Troy every you know your pick your co-picks for uh, most valuable players for Troy of who you think you know they're most important are I, you know I I can't fault you for saying that 100% and you're right about the defense too and you know I think <laughs> right out of the gate the defense is going to get tested because I know a lot of people you know might criticize me here for saying Arkansas State isn't isn't the most important game on the Troy slate I have it as Boise State first game of the year for the simple fact this defense is going to be tested week one as much as anybody I think one of the most fun G5 games to watch week one in just a couple of weeks is going to be Boise State and Troy because Brett Rippon had a you know had a good year last year. He is the leader of that Boise State Bronco team, and I, this is a team you know this is an offense that's no stranger by any means you know of putting up points. It was nothing to see them put over you know thirty five forty points. They even put up over fifty points on an occasion last year. Did Boise State? This is an offense that can score, and this makes it even more interesting because they're playing on the Big Blue Turf in Boise. So this is my for me. This has me down as that impact game for on schedule yeah I can see that that's a really big game for the conference it's a chance to have a statement win if somehow Troy can go in there and beat Boise on the blue turf for me it was that that closing game against Arkansas State there's a very good chance it's going to be for a conference title and of course Arkansas State flat out pistol whip Troy last season in Veterans Memorial Stadium 35 to 3 so you got to think Troy's going to be entering that game pretty freaking motivated to get some revenge on the Red Wolves. It's I think it's going to be the matchup of the best offense in the Sun Belt versus probably the best defense 
and Arkansas State. They've got weapons really at all levels if they can stay healthy. So I would say that one for sure is when the Trojans head to Jonesboro. That would be my, my biggest game for Troy. But when you look at the schedule and the potential season for Troy in 2017, what do you think needs to happen for the Trojans to consider this fall a success? Well, you know, I don't think by any means that 10 wins are, you know, out, out of the question for this team. And, you know, you, you can't you can't count this team out against Power 5 opponents either. I mean, look, they went to Death Valley last year and scared Clemson, you know, to death. I mean, you know, if a couple things, you know, turnover-wise and just a couple things work out different, Clemson never even gets the chance to play for a national championship last year because Troy – from Troy, Alabama would have been the team that would have took them out of that equation. And so, you know, I think 10 wins is a is a big possibility for this team. I mean, I could see another 9-3 and three, uh, season, but, you know, other than LSU, you know, and then, you know, you look in conference play, anything could happen with Arkansas State and, and also playing Boise State that first game. All the rest of their games, you know, Alabama State from the FCS level, uh, Akron, uh, then you look at who they've got in conference play, New Mexico State, Coastal, Texas State, they play all the cellar dweller teams out of the Sun Belt, so you know I, I do not think ten wins is out of the question for this team. Yeah, with this much returning, you don't want to take a step backwards. So for me, it's at least getting ten wins. The schedule is tough because you got those two difficult road games with Boise State and LSU, and then Akron's going to be a tricky one as the Zips are really going to be a contender in their division in the MAC, and they're going to have what seems to be a pretty good offense with a dual-threat quarterback. But they do avoid App State, and they don't play Arkansas State until the end of the season, so they should really handle their business in the Sun Belt. So I, I would look for them to be in line for a conference championship all season. But I think we're going to wrap it up here, Aikman. How did it feel to come on your first Underdog Podcast Fun Belt Edition? Oh, it's uh, a lot of fun, uh, Adam. You know, this is right up my alley for people that don't know. The the reason my handle name that they see, whenever I post articles, is Radio Guy AC because I, I work in radio. So, you know, and have the, and, you know, I'm blessed with being able to actually, you know, sports radio is kind of my my thing that I, I'm in is I do play-by-play for high school football, things of that nature. So this is right up my alley. This is my time of year, you know, from, from August through February. It's all things football, and what better way than for us as uh, Underdog Dynasty to be able to do these podcasts now. We'll do them throughout the season, I know, and I look forward for you having me back on uh, throughout the season, and we can talk more App State football, Coastal Carolina. Just talk these Sunbelt East teams, or that are eventually going to be Sunbelt East teams in 2018, and we'll do it again, man. I greatly appreciate it. No problem, and for you all listening that hasn't checked out Aikman stuff yet, be sure to do that. He just posted kind of a game-by-game prediction series for App State schedule, and also I believe he just wrote a Coastal Carolina preview. So he's doing some good work over at the site. And like you said, is that Radio Guy AC where the people can find you at on Twitter, Aikman? Yep, that's it. Uh, You can find me right there. Uh, Always always up for it. Love to hear from you, whether you don't like what I have to say in some of my articles or whether you do like what I have to say. Let me know. I, I love to hear everybody's opinion. Yes, same here.
Gary. You can find me, Adam Luckett, BOS, on the Twitter machine. And then, of course, if you haven't already, please like us on Facebook. Follow us all at Underdog Dynasty and at our personal handles. And feel free to write us any comments on the, on the website when you read our articles. We really appreciate feedback, positive or negative. And if you could, give us a rating on iTunes so we can grow this podcast and Really, the more we grow it, the more we're going to be able to do it. So we really appreciate that. Aikman, once again, thanks, my man. We definitely will be doing this again soon once we get this season started. Absolutely. And, uh, of course, as you mentioned on iTunes, able to tell parents now that we finally made it. We're on iTunes now. Yes, we did. We finally made it. We're in the big time now. But we'll see you later, people. See ya.